The concept of helping people of limited means by giving them a monthly check gained a lot of momentum during COVID. It's a relatively easy way to help people out, and there's not a lot of bureaucratic red tape. But does it work? Do people spend the money wisely? Does the money help eradicate poverty? I'm Bruce Moe of Commonwealth Magazine, and on today's podcast, we hear from two experts on this topic. Jeffrey Liebman is an economist, the director of the Rappaport Institute for Greater Boston at Harvard's Kennedy School, and the lead author of a study on Chelsea Eats, one of the largest programs of this type in the country. My other guest is Melody Valdez, the chief of staff of United South End Settlements, which is operating a smaller, more narrowly focused program called STEP, which stands for Striving Toward Economic Prosperity. Let's start with the basics of the two programs. Jeff, why don't you go first? What was Chelsea Eats? When the COVID pandemic hit in uh, early 2020, Chelsea was hit as hard as anywhere in the country, uh, both from a health standpoint and from an economic standpoint, in part because it's a heavily uh, immigrant community and there were many people living there who were not eligible for um, any of the federal safety net for unemployment insurance or the stimulus checks or or, 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 or SNAP. And so the city government found itself um, with a crisis because there were thousands of people who didn't have any income and couldn't feed themselves. And so initially the city government started producing boxes of food and giving thousands of boxes of food out uh, each week um, to meet the needs in the community. But at a certain point after doing this for about five months, the town administrator, Tom Imbrosino, uh, said, this is just nuts. He was having the whole public works department employed uh, ordering food, breaking it down into boxes and giving it out, even, even though they were grocery stores in Chelsea. And he said, why don't we just take all the money we're spending uh, to buy food and to hire people to put it into boxes and give it out uh, and sp- just give people cash and let them go shop at the grocery store. And so uh, that's what they did. Uh, they they uh, switched from uh, providing direct food to instead giving um, about 2,000 households uh, $400 a month um, uh, and the program uh, went on for nine months uh, that, that families were getting were, 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 were getting the uh, cash cards that they could use. Melody, fill us in on STEP, if you would. Um, thank you, Bruce, and thank you, Jeff. I think STEP um, was very similar to the Chelsea Eats program in terms of it, how it came to be. During the pandemic, we recognized that our families were facing barriers that we were not able to support with the traditional programming that we offered. And we had seen the work come out of Chelsea, and we had um, been a part of the national conversation around guaranteed income as a strategy for supporting families. Um, We also piloted a similar but strings attached kind of component to supporting families during the pandemic um, with funding that we had gotten from um, United Way and the support there was very much families would tell us what they needed supports with. And then we would um, set up a group of folks that would look at families' needs and sort of prioritize and say, hey, we're going to give money to this family um, for food. And we created this set of priorities that were based on our own priorities as to how we felt money should be 
utilize or families should be utilizing that money. And it didn't sit well with any of us. So I think when we had an opportunity to kind of look at the way that we were supporting our families, we wanted to do it through a more direct no strings attached way where we were really trusting families to be able to make decisions with the money that they were giving, recognizing that food supports or traditional um, benefits that families were receiving were not getting at the root of the issue. So we had uh, the fortune of working with a small group of um, supporters. It started with four co core funders, and um, those people leveraged additional support. So our program is 100% privately funded. Um, we raised the funds, and then we looked at how do we incorporate this guaranteed income strategy within the programs that we were already offering at United South End Settlements. We offer early childhood education. Um, we're a youth and economic mobility organization. So we wanted to make sure that the people that were benefiting from the guaranteed income program had children enrolled in our program because we not only wanted to measure the impacts that it had on the families, but also the ripple effects that it had on the kids. So not only the impact on the adult, but also the impact on the children. So that's how the program came to be. And given the funding that we received, we were able to select 16 families through a randomized lottery to receive $800 for 18 months. We are 12 months into the program. Um, so we are not at the finish line yet, but we have seen tremendous strides in some of the assumptions that we had when we started the program. And some of our assumptions were financial assumptions. We believe that families that were receiving um, the guaranteed income were going to reduce their debt. They were going to increase their savings. They were going to have added bandwidth to be able to make decisions and set goals that would set them up for future economic mobility. But then we also had some assumptions as to the impacts that it would have on children's um, social well-being. And we are seeing that at the 12-month mark. So you're seeing progress sounds like progress overall on the on the on the measures that you're looking at. Correct. Yeah. Okay. So listening to the two programs, there's obviously a quite a few big differences between the two. Uh, Jeff, correct me if I'm wrong, but Chelsea Eats was $400 a month, uh, whereas uh, Step was 800. The big difference is that it was targeting about 15% of Chelsea households. Chelsea Eats was whereas this is, step is covering about 16 families. So that scale um, is quite different, but it sort of seems like, uh, now Jeff, I've read your, your report on the program and, and how it came out, and it seems to have met the goals of what Tom Ambrosino, the Chelsea city manager, was looking for. The distribution of food by the city was rather cumbersome. This turned it over to residents to do on their own, and it seems like the money was spent primarily in the neighborhood, it was spent on food, and it improved a lot of that food delivery and food consumption stuff. But judging from your report, it's a little hard to say that it had profound impact on, on lives. Is that fair to say? Or I mean, it, food is a pretty profound impact. I don't want to minimize that, but it's not like people moved out of poverty because of $400 a month. I guess that's what I'm getting at. What do you say? Well, yeah, I, I think, um, you know, building on what Melody said, the, the nice thing about giving people unrestricted funds is you don't have to guess what they need. You know, it's hard if you're sitting in city hall 
do you need a housing program? Do you need a program to give out food? Should you be subsidizing diapers? What, what should you be doing? Well, if you have people who are in need and you give them unrestricted funds, they can figure it out for themselves. And in this case, um, as, as you said, people mostly spent the Tulsi's cards uh, at places where you can get food, like grocery stores uh, or, or wholesale clubs or, or the local uh, meat and produce markets. But some people were spending on things besides food when, when those were greater needs. You know, as to your question of whether things are profound, I mean, I think the thing to remember is at the beginning of this, of the Chelsea's program, the level of food insecurity in this community was just horrific. More than 50% of the families said that their kids were not, were sometimes or often not getting enough to eat because the families didn't have enough money to pay for food. And so it seems to me uh, making progress uh, by having people actually get enough to eat uh, is, is pretty uh, profound, but you're right, this was a temporary program. People's needs were greater than the $400 they got from the program, and uh, it would take more money for a longer time to end poverty in that group and probably to let people fully realize you know, their potential um, from you know, not be constrained by resources. So, so um, you know, I, think, I think what you said is, 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 uh, is, is right. I think to Jeff's point, and I think when we started the program, we recognized that this wasn't going to be the end all be all is 18 months where we're giving families um, a break, right? Like they're, they're getting an additional $800 a month for 18 months. But for us, it was really important to think about what else, right? Like what else beyond guaranteed income could we be doing for families? And that's why we were really cognizant of the interventions that we offered as an organization and how do we enable families to access those resources in addition to the guaranteed income. And then also we worked with the Department of Transitional Assistance. We worked with the Department of Early Childhood Education and Care. And thanks to the works of Chelsea and the city of Cambridge, we were able to receive waivers for families because we recognized that we didn't want this to replace the money that they were getting from other um, entities, but we wanted this to be in addition to. So I think that what Jeff is saying and what I'm saying is that we're seeing profound changes. Obviously, our impact is on a much smaller scale, but we are seeing profound changes, but we recognize that this is one piece of a larger puzzle. This isn't the thing that's going, this isn't the only thing that's going to move the needle, or I think that's our understanding. This isn't the only thing that it's going to move the needle, but it's something that feels um, very efficient. And I, and I talk about this all the time. I think giving people money, trusting that they know what to do with those funds and kind of replacing some of the overhead and the administrative costs of running the programs that historically have been run and putting the money in the hands of the people that need it most feels like it is the beginning of change. I hear that. And I it, it seems like that's a conclusion of, of both the programs that giving people money, I mean, I, I, I didn't espouse this, but this is what you hear, that people would be concerned that the money is just gonna be frittered away on, on things that are not really that important. And Jeff, correct me if I'm wrong, but your study pretty definitively showed that was not the case, right? Right, the, I mean, we, we show that in two different ways. One is we can look at where the cards were actually spent. And we see that most of the cards themselves were spent you know, at, at either places uh, where you could buy food or at places where you could meet other, other, other necessities. Um, but then in addition, we can also show that total spending on food went up. 
because you could have imagined, well, yes, they're spending the cards on food, but that's freeing up their other funds to do something else. And so it's not guaranteed that the spending on food on net would have gone up, but we can show that that did happen. Um, so, so yes, I think our, our, our study, you know, I think, you know, the, the, the two things people worry about in these kind of programs are, can we trust people to spend the money well? And I think the answer to that is yes. And then secondly, are they going to all stop working once you give them money? Uh, and our study also shows that that doesn't happen. Um, so, so on both of those, um, critiques, uh, at least at the scale of, of the $400 a month uh, in this particular community, you know, the, 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 the fears were not realized. Melody, do you track in your program pretty detailed how the money is spent or do you, do you take a hands-off attitude toward that? We actually debated this quite a bit at the beginning of how we're not doing it with gift cards. We're actually giving people checks um, with the funds. So we were like, are we going to ask people to self-report? Should we go the gift card option? And I think for us, it wasn't as important where they were spending the money. We wanted to understand the impact that the funds were having in their financial well-being. Um, so that's where we're studying. We are not tracking where families are spending their money, but we are tracking um, how they're spending their money in terms of, is it supporting savings? Is it reducing their debt? Are families opening more college savings accounts for their children? Are they moving into stable housing? How is it impacting um, their ability to enter the workforce to Jeff's point? Because I thought, I, I know that a lot of sort of the commentary that we got at the beginning of the program were people are going to stop working and we this is going to disincentivize the workforce so we wanted to be we wanted to prove that that wasn't the case and i think we are seeing 12 months into the program that that has not been the case more families have actually entered the workforce also as a result of naturally right like families are entering the workforce after covid so our program kind of coincided with that but we are seeing more families stay in the workforce and also families taking promotions, um, families going for like the education path and, and looking at other opportunities for growth that they wouldn't otherwise have had the possibility to do because their income didn't allow them to do that. Um, so I think that for us, we're not tracking where they're spending it, but more of the impact that the money is having on their overall well-being. Forgive me, this would be a reporter's type question that's asking way too much of the both of you. But um, so when... People like me read about these programs. For instance, Chelsea Eats was addressing an immediate need and to some degree, uh, STEP was as well, both sort of reflections of the COVID time period and what have you. But they tend to get wrapped up in, in a larger debate about the best way to help people um, move out of poverty and, and, um, and just help people, I guess. You, I, I, that's a sort of simple way of saying it. And, it's a little hard for listening to the two of you talk about the programs to know how to read this, whether it is a step, I mean, is it a baby step down a path or is this something that sort of came with COVID and if COVID ever goes away, might go away with when COVID goes away. What, what, do, the, what do the two of you think about that? Jeff, you wanna go first? Sure, I, I think um, the research we've been doing points, I think, in three policy directions. One is, I do think in some emergency situations, we should be relying more on giving people cash and less on shipping in boxes of food and other things from other places. And you know, obviously, in the first two days after a hurricane, if the grocery stores are closed, you got to ship in boxes of food. But pretty soon after that, if people are like jobless and, you know, 
homeless or whatever, you should probably be giving them cash rather than shipping in more boxes of food. So I think there is a lesson on how to do emergency relief better. Um, but beyond that, I think this is contributing to a larger body of evidence that if we want to deal with poverty, giving people money deals directly with poverty. And that's why an expanded um, child credit probably makes sense. It's why we should probably be raising the value of SSI, the, the other big cash program uh, in, in the United States. Um, and um, so I think there's a there's a direction towards sort of big federal action because the city can't pay on its own for a, a big anti-poverty program that's say 15% of the population, even in Chelsea, which is a pretty small place, there was a ton of philanthropic support for this for this initiative. And so it's gonna take federal um, action if one were gonna um, uh, address poverty directly by giving people more unrestricted funds. So I think it's pushing in that direction, but I also think it's pushing, there's so many times we try to, we try to help a, a targeted population in the US with some complicated program when maybe we'd be do, doing better if we just gave them money. You know, let's take youth aging out of foster care. Um, you could imagine the state government having enough funds to say every, uh, you know, every one of the couple thousand youth who age out of foster care should get $1,000 a month for 18 months or two years or something like that. And it could well be that that would be more effective than anything else we know how to do to help those, help those youth. And so there are a bunch of similar targeted populations that aren't, you know, targeting poverty as a whole, but targeting groups that we do spend a lot of resources on and spend a lot of time worrying about, where at the very least, I think we should test whether giving people unrestricted cash does better than whatever the best other ideas uh, we have are. Yeah, I certainly agree. And I think to your question of whether it was a baby step or I think so, right? I think it's a step in the right direction. And to Jeff's point, thinking outside the box and, and thinking like, how can we support families in a way that's easier there's less red tape and actually gives family like or not only families i'm speaking about families because that's kind of the population that we're focusing on but i think individuals in general a little bit more like agency over their their lives and i think this is to jeff's point about youth in foster care or other like segments of the population that we are trying to address I think something that's really important um, about guaranteed income, and I don't think that we speak enough about this, is that it's giving people an opportunity to exercise the muscle of like making choices. And I think when you're in poverty, you're not able to make a lot of choices because you don't have the resources to make those choices. If I only have $200 and I know I have to pay rent and buy food, I don't have a way of being like, what am I going to do with that money? Like, can I put money into my savings? Can I do this? You don't get to exercise that muscle. And I think this is giving families or again, people in general, I think the opportunity to exercise that muscle. And it's also saying like, we trust that you're able to do this, whereas other programs that exist are not getting at that. Um, and I also think that it's not sustainable, especially not for organizations of our size to do this. We can do this for 18 months. We might be able to do another cohort, but a lot of people are asking us what's next. And I think what's next is how can we get more of the larger like federal agencies or other programs that already exist to think about this as a way of supporting folks. When we first, when I first got into this program, one of the things that was really compelling to me was a story uh, about one of uh, the people involved in the Mayors for Guaranteed Income that talked about WIC in particular and feeling like he was a WIC recipient. He had a daughter that had a peanut allergy and in his WIC diet, there were peanuts 
products. And he felt such impotence every time he went to um, the grocery store and he could not purchase the things that he needed for his family. So are there are all of these resources being put into a program that's ultimately not responding to the needs of the people that are accessing the program. And I think this is like guaranteed income is a way of getting rid of that. Like, are we putting time, resources, and efforts into programs that are not getting at what people need where we can just give people money and that gets to the root of the problem, right? Yeah, yeah. And I guess um, this is an interesting thing, this whole idea of having choice and, and responsibility for it. Uh, did this show up in your surveys at all, Jeff, of, of the participants in the Chelsea Eats program that this way sort of uh, built the muscle I, that, that uh, Melody talks about? Is I'm not sure I have direct evidence on uh, muscle building, but I like that theory. Um, but I, I definitely, as we talk to these families, the, I mean, we, we, we for example, we surveyed people who didn't use the food pantries, why they didn't use them. And exactly the kind of things Melody talked about, you know, some people had diabetes and the boxes of potatoes were not the right food for them. The allergy issue came up and then, then it was just the, like getting the food they actually liked to eat. And one thing that was actually interesting in our findings is that the group that got the $400 was actually a little bit more likely to still be using the food pantries. And there are two hypotheses for why that might uh, have been true. One is that getting a box of food is more valuable to you if you can supplement, you know, suppose you get a box of onions and potatoes, that's more valuable if you can buy some meat and some cooking oil to use that. The, that. And so maybe the combination of a little bit of cash and boxes of food are, is substantially more valuable than, 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 you know, just getting the box by, by itself. But there's also something I think about being connected to uh, a community that's trying to take care of you. And I think that, you know, one of the things that's just phenomenal about what the the, what's happened in the in the Chelsea community over the last couple of years is it really it was the community coming together to solve these problems and I think people who got these cards felt like they were cared for by the community and more likely to participate in other things going on in the community and that could be another reason that they uh, were more successful in uh, accessing some of the other relief um, you know during this period. That's interesting and you mentioned uh, like people aging out of foster care that might be a, a target group. I imagine there are others like that, but I, I could also sort of see, you know, your mind immediately goes to the crisis at Mass and Cass with addicts and everything. People would probably go crazy if you said, we're going to give you money to work your way through this. Um, how far does it go? Do you think it it's, it's a pretty narrow target audience that this works with or, or any problem? Well, I think we need to, you know, honestly, I think we, this requires research. I guess that's what you'd expect a professor to say, but I think we got to, you know, I don't think it's a one size, I don't think the answer is going to be the same. But I think even if you think about the problem of people with opioid use disorder living on the streets, people's recovery efforts are a lot better when they're civilly housed. And so I could imagine that it be, would be worth testing, you know, giving people housing and, and getting rid of some of the economic desperation along with giving them the substance use treatment they need. And it would not surprise me if all, at all if that combination uh, worked better. But you know, you um, it's you know it's got to be the case that you have some cases where people took the money and you know did something with it that led to a, to an overdose. And 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 but it, so you'd have to test and see on average did it do better. So it it, it would you know that that would be a higher risk study that you'd want to do a pretty small pilot to begin with. But 
you know, I think it's such a big crisis. I think we need to be trying trying our best ideas. And Melody, let me ask you one one thing about your program that intrigued me. Um, in addition to the money, you're also trying to hook these families up with other services that either you provide or it sounded like maybe other organizations would provide as well. So it's 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 not just the money, but other supports you're trying to build around. Uh, how is that working? Do you do you sense that those additional supports are there's an uptake of that, or is it give us the money and we don't really want to hear about that other stuff? No, I think um, for us, because it was a very like curated group of folks that were receiving the funds, the people had to already be involved in our organization through our youth programs. They were already engaged in some way and they had already had a relationship with us as an organization. Um, and then the other stuff was optional, but we really wanted to see um, to Jeff's point of like, is this in addition to something else? Is money and what else is going to make the difference? And for us, we have through our um, economic mobility work, we offer financial coaching, we offer career coaching and opportunities for families to have somebody to kind of work through um, this changes with. Because one of the things that we were talking about when we started the program is, yes, some families or some people might feel great about you give them $800, they know what to do with it. They go on. And for some people, it's like, now I have this, like, what do I do? I need somebody to kind of troubleshoot ideas with. And I think that's where coaching as a very much like voluntary support that we offer um, has been really significant. And we have seen families or more people take advantage of that just because they wanted to think through their budget. They wanted to plan for, um, we've been communicating since the beginning of the program, the fact that this is a temporary solution. It's a temporary support. We know that it's going to end come 18 months. So we wanted to make sure, because I think when we got into guaranteed income, one of our biggest fears was, and then what, right? Like you're giving families $800 additionally for 18 months, then that money goes away. What are we doing beyond that? So we wanted to kind of set the infrastructure so that families had the supports that they needed to have those conversations, especially around the transition period. Like, what are some things that we could be doing? And families, if they wanted to use that support, they would use it. And we have seen an uptick, especially come month six, like halfway into the program of more people tapping into those resources, particularly financial coaching, as they're thinking about their like long-term financial picture and also understanding the next steps beyond the $800. All right. Um, Melody Valdez of the United South End Settlements, Jeffrey Liebman of Harvard. Uh, thank you very much for joining me today. Thank you. And to our listeners, we'll see you again next week. <laughs>